Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the podcast ever. We're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hail Dictinus. Grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Both cyberspace and magical space are purely manifest in the imagination. Both spaces are entirely constructed by your thoughts and beliefs. Welcome to Technopagans, the 145th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of computer engineer and researcher Mark Pesch. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelociRose.com. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And I'm not a techno-pagan, so I'm going to be carved this week. We're going to swap roles, and you guys are going to do all the talking. And I'm going to have the occasional question that if I, when I get confused. I, I think it is not bit... a Buffy reference, Kitty <laughs> No, although, but you are, I think, a, a little bit more of a techno-pagan than you think you are. Maybe. I guess we'll find out. Mm-hmm. But before that, we have housekeeping. So let's do all that stuff. Car, do we have any new patrons? No. And thank you to all of our existing patrons for continuing to support us. That's right, because we love you all, and we appreciate you all, and you all are awesome. But next week mm-hmm. will be the time that I read all the pagan names again. Uh-huh. All the patron names all the, again. All the patron <laughs> names again. The pagan Some of which are pagan. So, so presumably most, but not, not probably all. all. Right, yeah. Yeah. But in order to make this one just a tad bit more interesting, everybody will have a nickname. Carl's right. going to spend the next week concocting nicknames for all of you. Some of them are fairly easy, like "fuck you, Finn Odinson." Swan says, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Swan knows what's up. <laughs> so you know, some of them are already kind of built in, but we but the, will. But the rest, he's uh, going the rest, to yeah, we're, I'm going to devise this week. You all be bestowed nicknames. That's by right. the car. Unless you are a kitten. And you're right. anonymous. Anonymous kittens. Yeah. Or if you're anonymous anyway. Right. Car, you don't do anything else anymore. I you're don't. you're no longer on Three Pagans on Tap. Yep. That That's is right. correct. That's right. right. And I am supposed to be writing a book, but right now I'm not doing much of anything just because of personal issues. Right. And then I do this podcast and work at Valhalla. And that's it. So I think we're done with housekeeping. <laughs> yeah, I think things have kind of slowed down, mm-hmm. you know, or sped well, up. Well, right, yeah. Know. My life is way busier. It just yeah. happens to be... In a non-podcast yeah, right, direction. Right, in a non-podcast yeah, direction. Yeah, so I, I think just life is happening right now, and mm-hmm. we are we are doing our things. Although, I will say that June is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. June is busting out all over. And because of that, mm-hmm. we will be doing a new episode of Three Pagans Eat with Jackson. Plus Jackson. True. Plus Jackson. Cannot yes. forget yep. the plus Jackson. And um, we have... So many options here in Kalamazoo. Yep. So we do. Um, expect that to appear at some point in mm-hmm. the month of June that'll be, on our that'll YouTube be channel. On the YouTube channel. Yep. yep. And we'll try to give you a little bit of warning so that if you're interested in watching it live, you can. Yes, that's right. We'll we'll try to predict. It'll probably be a Monday because that's yeah, when Car has a day off. And that's so. when we right. do our, our family thing. Yep. But yeah, last time it was just we sprang it on you because it, it, it was, was spontaneous. It was spontaneous <laughs> with us. We were like, hey. 
okay, let's do the thing. So this time you'll have more warning. Hopefully. Yes. Hopefully. Or maybe not. <laughs> you never know. Who the hell knows? Yeah. Well, we'll find out when that happens. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right, but I believe that's all our housekeeping. So we are now housekept and... Housekept. Okay. We may now move on to our topic. <laughs> oh, but do we really have to? Yes, yes, we do. Uh, all right. You know to. what? There are <laughs> episodes where I don't get to say shit. That's so. true. That's true. We do and a lot of episodes that where I don't have you, any input at all. You have a, a deep interest in car has lost one. This is true. And we also, though, do have segments today. We so. do. Yes, yes. We all that's have right. A little bit to contribute. <clears throat> last recording of May, so that's we right. are going to have segments on this one. So this one might go a little long, just so everyone's just prepared. So maybe, ready. maybe we're going to try to keep without it. Gwen talking. It should be shorter. Oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> to discuss techno-paganism on your live-streamed podcast. Yeah. This is one of the many reasons I'm going to be explaining to Gwen why really she is a techno-pagan. She just doesn't recognize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, but let's do some history first. So, there's some dispute about the origin of the term techno-pagan. There are some... Poorly cited references to it being used at some point in the 1980s on various Usenet groups, mm -hmm. but the most widely accepted coining of the term was Eric Davis in 1995 when he wrote an article titled Technopagan for the magazine Wired. Oh, yep. that makes sense. Which uh, I read earlier. Yeah, <laughs> and I read the whole thing too. Yeah, so it was yeah. a really interesting look into the, the mid-late 90s uh, Technopagan scene. That had a really interesting vision for what that would become. Right. Didn't it really has like, not come to fruition. Yeah, it didn't, didn't, didn't quite pan, pan out. Yeah. In um, part because the technology just wasn't there yet. So one of the people that they interviewed in that article, and the person I quoted at the start of this episode, was Mark Pesci. And he was one of the co-inventors of VRML, which was the virtual reality modeling language which was the predecessor to the modern X3D. And that is sort of um, an intermediary step between binary code and the graphical user interface on top for displaying 3D modeled images on the web. Oh. So VRML was, was the earliest version language. of that, yeah. the, the earliest yeah, modeling language for that. Mark Pesci's vision for that was that it would allow him to, allow everyone <laughs> collectively to create virtual reality spaces that we interacted with in the same way that we interact with the physical world. And he was part of investigating early virtual reality technology and all that stuff in the 90s when the technology just wasn't quite, quite there, yeah. quite caught up to a, a ahead of his time. Yeah, it, the, the, we just didn't have the resources then, the technology then to manifest the vision as right, it were. Right. But he had a lot of those ideas really, really early on. And he was, a, became, he became a techno-pagan, sort of very fluidly, very naturally, I mm -hmm. guess, as he, was, as he was working with technology. Yep. Flowed and, uh, what, organically? Yeah, say? really organically. Just so kind of was moved his... into that path. Was he a pagan to begin with and then just organically moved into He was originally a Catholic oh. and then spent a time as, um, as one of the Protestants, one of the really proselytizing right. Protestants. Right. And then I think he was non-religious for a while. And just as he was doing research, this research and starting to develop these languages and looking into the virtual reality stuff, he started thinking about it differently in a very sort of natural way. And he had a bunch of synchronistic events happen in his life. How you do. Yeah. And, and eventually it was just like, well, I'm a witch. <laughs> <laughs> No, no more denying it. <laughs> that's, that's just where I'm at. That's kind of how it happens for a lot of people, yeah. 
So was his like thought process like what would become and then slowly go away second life? Yeah, sort of. He was really inspired by William Gibson's Neuromancer. Which makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and by um the, the following books in that series. Yeah, or anything by William Gibson. William Gibson, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he was, he was really inspired by Neuromancer, by Snow Crash, by a couple of the other really early sci-fi sort of cyberpunk novels. And essentially he wanted to create the vision of of cyberspace from Neuromancer in reality. He was like, sure, we could somehow make that happen where you could just step your brain sideways from your body into this digital space. Like jacking in. Yeah, exactly. Like a Johnny Mnemonic type thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like a matrix that you're not permanently plugged into. Right. right? Yeah. We've got uh, Rabbit saying, it's such a 90s thing. Computers are now a thing. Let's use them for everything. Yeah. It was the, the, and the 90s mentality for cyberspace, for technology, for techno-paganism was really, really interesting. It was a really creative time, I think, mm-hmm. um, because computers were, because accessibility for computers was still pretty new. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, a lot more people were gaining access to them. We still had like dial-up and those really slow modems and like AOL. tiny amounts of RAM. But there were, I think people were putting fewer boundaries in their imagination of what this technology could accomplish. Well, and computers were, it was very freeing. I mean, Cara and I, we didn't get our first computer until 1995. Mm -hmm. When you were five years old, your sibling was three, and we rented it. Yeah. (laughs) They were fucking expensive. And we rented this computer, but it gave us so much access to things that we've never had access to unless you go to a library. And even Mm -hmm. then, it's limited to what books they have Mm -hmm. available, right? And newspapers and things like that. So it just kind of opened up a whole new... And that was in, like... that was A whole new world. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to try not to go there, but you did it for me. And that, was, <laughs> and that was, like, AOL when the internet was so, so different. So slow. Oh, my God. We thought it was a miracle until, <laughs> until we found out there was something, you know, the next level was faster. And we were like, shit, AOL was, like... <laughs> Oh, fucking Remember well, what we used AOL, to do. Well, it wasn't AOL. It was our modem. Yes. Right. So, you know, we started out with a 144 mm-hmm. And then we were able to upgrade the modem. And that helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just said a 14.4? Yeah. Which reminded me. In the article that Eric Davis wrote in, in Wired in 1995, Mark Pesci and a group of his little, his coven, right. essentially mm-hmm. his, his tech coven, which was all other tech people. Right. They did a ritual to inaugurate cyberspace, and they used 14-4s as the watchtowers in their circle. <laughs> yeah. So the north, south, east, west, all the, the watchtowers, they put 14-4 modems. modems out as, as the watchtowers <laughs> for their circle. Awesome. Yeah. But I, and I will say, you know, when, when, when it was AOL and dial-up and things like that, you had to get a second landline. Otherwise, you would not have... Like, cause phone it, it, service. It, it yeah, Swan says, no, you can't check your email. I'm expecting a long-distance phone exactly. call. Exactly. Yeah. So we, ha- we actually did get a second phone line mm-hmm. so that we could use the computer and still get phone calls. <laughs> we, for a while, we did call waiting. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it would just beep. And, and be like, know. get off the internet. Right, yep. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, no, I'm sitting here thinking about how you said, you know, I'm more techno-witch than I realized. Mm -hmm. This is true, I guess, because one thing that having the Internet did open up for me was access to more information about witchcraft. 
I got into, I found a yeah, you message were, board. Yeah, you were taught your first teacher, uh, Athene. Yeah, was from a message board. Yeah, you never met her in person. Nope, I never did. And uh, also I was part of a group of other beginners outside of Athene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like a Yahoo group? Yeah, I think it was a Yahoo group. Was it a Yahoo yeah. message? It, it was some kind of a messaging. You know, we had our own private board. Or, I mean, AOL you know, had those groups and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it, was, it was a private message board. And um, it was just our group, and we supported each other and, mm-hmm. and did research together. We even did a did a ritual together online. It might have even been a PHP BB. Like there were so many of those right, yep. boards back in the day. Yep. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I never actually met my mentor mm-hmm. uh, in person. She was actually from England. So that was one thing that the internet did back then and continues to do mm-hmm. is bring people together who otherwise would would never have met. Because when I first started, without the internet, I had, it was very hard to meet other pagans. Yeah. Right. You know, oh, yeah. you had no choice but to be solitary. Yeah. And that's why like witch box at the time, the witch's mm-hmm. voice was this huge thing because it was this message board that told you where all of, you know, and articles. Yeah. And, it had this huge list of like every coven. Oh, it was amazing. That had ever signed up for it, which was hundreds, probably hundreds. thousands. All yeah. over the yeah. United States. Of all covens, of stores, of, of, mess- of websites, mm-hmm. yeah, of, of message boards. Mm-hmm. I mean, there used so to be... So that people could link up. I mean, there used to be specific witch auction sites that you mm-hmm. could go to buy stuff. So you didn't have to use eBay and Etsy. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess uh, it, it really did... The introduction of the internet and techno-pagans and things mm-hmm. like that, it really did have quite a quite impact, an impact on you. Yeah. On you? Well, on me, but I'm just saying the, the pagan community in general. I'm yeah. just saying, but like on you? Yeah, more than specifically. I would have, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. More than I would have realized. I guess when I think of techno-pagan, mm-hmm. I think of somebody who does well, all... that's like a really integral part of their practice. integral part of their practice in that. I wouldn't say that, but certainly communicating with and, and doing ritual well, and over is, the internet. Exactly, this is the been. other thing I, I wanted to bring up with you is you did those meditations. You did video meditations mm-hmm. that you put online. Mm-hmm. We've together, and, and you, I know, have done a whole bunch with rituals. Yeah. Covens have done long-distance rituals through Zoom. Mm-hmm. We've done recorded rituals where other people are, are invited to take part at, in their time zone when mm-hmm. it's relevant to them. Yeah, and, and you and I did a ritual with Mankey and a bunch of other people yeah, where we, we just did our parts from all over the uh, and, world. And that was a, an audio yeah. thing yep. that mm-hmm. we did, but we all connected through the yep. internet. Yep. Yeah. And none of those things would be possible without modern day technologies, without without the foundation of the internet. Yeah. And, you know, the, the high quality microphones and webcams mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. And I think it does us a disservice when we don't think of those objects and those structures of as as much tools for us as Mm -hmm. our other witchcraft tools are. Yeah, and I think uh, going back to the original (laughs) person who you quoted and who really Mm -hmm. coined the term techno-pagan and became a techno-pagan himself just organically Mm -hmm. through research and and all that and just kind of experiencing everything, we actually really kind of owe him a little debt of gratitude there, you know, because he kind of helped us see the potential. Yeah, Mark Pesci... There, Eric Davis interviewed several people in this article. There was um, a person called uh, who called themselves Legba, lowercase L, who did a lot of stuff in the massively online spaces, the Moos, mm. which were, I think, preceding the Mushes? Yeah. Yeah, there was the Moos and then the Mushes, which were text-based, multiplayer, online role-playing spaces, essentially, mm-hmm. where you would 
you would take on a text avatar, a, mm -hmm. a digital avatar of some kind that you defined the limits of, depending on the rules of your particular move or mesh space. And then you would interact with each other as your avatar purely through text. And people would have like entire lives this way. Yep. And there were people using that for magic. Mm -hmm. And like very, very early on that this was, it was a, a rapidly evolving form of magical interaction, I think. Mm -hmm. I think because computers were so new. Right, right. And because a lot of it was adults encountering this new technology. Like for me, we, we rented that first computer when I was five. I barely remember a time of not having constant computer access. Mm -hmm. But I think for people who discovered computers as, as adults, and you guys can speak to that more than me, obviously, I think maybe there was a different way of thinking about it because they were sort of new and magical on their own. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, like they're very mundane. Right. There's part of life. Well, until we actually rented that computer, my only access to computers had been in college. You know, we didn't have them in, in our high school, in my high school. And uh, I took a computer class to learn how to use a computer my first year of college. And then we had a computer lab that we could go to to do research. But it was still pretty limited well, yeah, when I was in college. I built a computer in junior high. Mm -hmm. from Tandy, a TSR-80. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> a classic. Um, yep. But I had a Commodore 64, mm -hmm. which I used for music production. Right. I mean, for, like forever ago. Making midis. Yep, yep. Making yeah. midi files and, and having it play stuff back and that kind of thing. And uh, even when I was in the band in college, you know, I would program a lot of stuff that would then be played back right. uh, for the band. So I do want to say, though, I think it's important. People probably don't know this. I don't know that we've ever talked about it, but I'm actually three years older than Carr. <clears throat> yes. So, you know, things that I experienced in high school or as a teenager. Right. Are I was in still junior high. high. Still in, or sometimes, <laughs> depending on if I was a freshman, uh -huh, yeah, I was still, still in elementary, elementary school. school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's why our experiences are actually... Significantly, significantly different in this yeah. in this respect in this yeah respect. because the technology of computers evolved so quickly yeah, yeah. so yeah. so while he was getting you know the commodore and he was building mm -hmm. his own computer i still like i said i didn't have uh access to a computer until i was 18 years old my first year in college mm -hmm. you know so i would have been 15 right mm -hmm. well and you also grew up in washington dc so you grew right. up in a major mm -hmm. city and yeah. you grew up out in caledonia in, yeah in the middle of nowhere michigan right middle yeah. of nowhere michigan Finn did say a really good thing. Pretty sure we are all in this day and age are techno pagans. Yeah. And that's that's uh, a really good thing, I guess, because I, I still kind of in my head have that, well, computers, you know, mm -hmm. were still new to me in 95. Techno pagans have a, a particular section of mm -hmm. identity in my brain, and that didn't fit me. Right. But yeah, I guess now with, you know, I'm on my computer, my phone, my, you know, You're writing your book on your Writing computer. my book. Right. Know, yep. I guess, yeah, we, we all, you know, in some way or other are techno-pagans to some respect. Mm -hmm. So your attestations from the 80s, what did they say a techno-pagan was? Do you remember? Oh, the Usenet? Yeah. Uh, references? They're really vague and hard, honestly, to track down the actual Usenet. Right. Like, they haven't been stored. Right. Like, they're not on the Wayback Machine. <clears throat> All I can find is that the word Technopagan was used 
in some Usenet posts. I right. couldn't find the actual posts. So my understanding, and mm -hmm. I'm old enough to have been online. Right, in the 80s. In the 80s, mm -hmm. and did have access to a computer-ish. Right. My understanding of the original term techno-pagan it was people who did meditation mm -hmm. to techno music. Yes, that was also a thing. And that, that brought that up a little bit in the Wired article, but he was really focusing on the sort right. of virtual yep. reality mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that was like the, the thing was like, oh, we have this music, and mm -hmm. it, it sends me into a trance-ish Right, state. because a lot of Very techno music had those really repetitive on the beats. floor, yep. 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 And that is definitely in Carr's purview. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and and I mean, like you've listened to some of those those tones that the binaural, yeah, the yeah, binaural, yeah, tones. yeah binaural tones. And yeah. I think honestly, I think some techno music accidentally incorporated some of those. Oh yeah, oh, well, and some of it wasn't accidentally. Right. Yeah, yeah. some of it was intentional. Yeah. So but. they because they would program stuff to uh, produce euphoria in mm -hmm. people because <laughs> then you want to buy their music. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's it's actually. It's actually been, there's some cities now that are outlawing subharmonic bass tones in music because subharmonic bass tones actually can cause euphoria. They can also cause many other things, right. including the brown note. So they can sort of induce different states, different states that, in you're, people. that you're not in control of. Correct. Yeah. And so a lot of places are banning it from being used in music. Just as a precaution. I think so. I think part of it is like, as we become more and more technologically advanced, mm -hmm. more and more people are playing with those kind of things, right. right? So now we have speaker systems that while it's not in the human hearing range, mm -hmm. can produce those tones anyway. And so that's why... And so if you're fucking with that in your local neighborhood... Right, exactly, yep. Well, when I was doing the meditations in 2020, mm -hmm. the year of COVID, <laughs> I actually... Year. The, yes. I actually commissioned a set of songs from mm -hmm. a from an artist who did meditation music, and about half of those had binaural beats yeah. to, in mm -hmm. them yep. included yeah. in them. Yeah. Uh, Swan does ask, "What's the brown note?" So now you're gonna have to explain this. <laughs> so the brown note is a tone in the subharmonic bass range that actually makes you have to use the restroom. A number two, <laughs> it makes you shit, and is something that uh, the army has actually played with mm -hmm. a gun that does that because it would incapacitate an entire army. Not to get too into like politics and military acoustic weaponry, but we do have acoustic weaponry that has been developed by the military that is being used in a quote non-military capacity by some law enforcement stuff like that so lose control of your bowels or no or just to just incapacitate you just, yeah. it just is a, such a loud noise at a certain frequency that just makes it impossible to think and it can cause damage to your eardrums and eyes oh my god yeah that there's some uh, problems with that mm -hmm. rabbit says more human than bullets that entirely depends on what frequency but we're not going to get into that that's not what we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's sort of the, the history of techno paganism. It's interesting. It's older than I think people think it is, but yep. it's still, you know, relatively fresh. young. <laughs> Fresh it's all new. it's all shiny and and new. Well, I mean, even if you remember back two and a half, three years ago, where are we on? Three years now. You actually asked the techno pagans who yeah. may be listening. I asked tech witches to. Contact yep. me about cleansing the cloud. Cleansing and a few, the cloud. A few of yep. you did, and, and they all had different opinions. <laughs> so you never reported 
reported on that. You should report on that here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got emails from various tech witches. Tech witches. Some people believe that cleansing the cloud is completely possible and that like one person can do it. Some people believe that cleansing the cloud is going to necessarily be a multi-coven, multinational mm -hmm. effort if we want to undertake it. And some people believe that because the cloud is sort of a constantly fluxing store of information, there's nothing to cleanse. Interesting. So yeah, everybody has different opinions on that. That's very cool. Our Tiger Nick summons you to Valhalla Tap Room in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Join us there for a wide range of unique meads, craft beers, and meat tales. Cocktails built around our meads and inspired by classic drinks like the Mojito and the Bloody Mary. Valhalla also serves handcrafted Italian sodas for designated drivers among us who are strongly encouraged to only drink those, because almost every meat on the menu is 14%. This week, Ode suggests ordering Bragi, a caramel and apple mixed drink inspired by butterbeer and topped with a strufa waffle. Valhalla is open Thursday through Sunday. Find out our hours online at norsenectar.com. And follow Valhalla Kezu on Facebook for upcoming events. I did not get a Stroop waffle when I had Bragi. That's new. It's new. Oh, we do we do uh, <laughs> garnishes now. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was cheated. I was cheated. No, no. seriously, Bragi is really good. Bragi is very it's good. It's really yes. really good. Artisanal beards. Oh, sweet. I like a nice beard. Here's looking at you, car, says Finn. <laughs> and Swan, Finn yes, I always blame Finn is script. watching on the dead <laughs> yes, vocals. Yes. So. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, the, no, those mead tails are, are very good. Yep, my quality. Yep. I like them, personally. Oh, yeah. so we probably should do, like, Oats Stone Corner! Today, because we're talking about technology and stuff, uh, I am actually going to be doing a rare earth metal that you probably have in something you own or in something uh, nearby to you, but that you are not going to probably have a sample of in your collection. So we are going to be talking about Lanthamon. Could you say that again? <laughs> Lanthamon. Okay. Yes. It was discovered in 1839 as an impurity in cerium nitrate. The name actually means to lie hidden because it was discovering and removing lanthimum from its ores is challenging. It's <laughs> challenging to, say, to say, it's challenging to remove. Yeah, so lanthimum is actually the 28th most abundant mineral on Earth. It's actually three times more abundant than lead in terms of its its total percentage of, of the Earth's crust that it makes up. But like all of the rare earth minerals, it is found in such small concentrations that it's never found as a, in a metal form in nature. It has to be extracted from various ores through a very time-consuming and labor-intensive and expensive process. Hmm. And there are few deposits where the ores contain enough of the lanthanum to actually extract it. So it's when it's metallic, it's a silvery metal, sort of soft, and it has a lot of, like all of the rare earth minerals, it has a lot of very strange magnetic uh, and, and electroconductive properties hmm. uh, that basically nothing else on earth can replicate, which is why lanthanum and all the other rare earth minerals are found in a lot of our 
modern technological innovations because they do things that we can't do with other minerals. A lot of the rare earth minerals are produce super strong magnets, that's neodymium. They just have a lot of really unique properties that we can't replicate in other ways. So, so you wouldn't necessarily have this as a specimen, but it might be in something you have. It probably is in something you have, yeah. So like if you have a camera or a telescope, fiber optic cables, certain types of treated glass, it's used in car batteries. All of those things contain various amounts of lanthanum um, because it has these unique properties. It's used in specific kinds of welding. They can treat glass with it so that when you do glass blowing, mm -hmm. it reduces the glare from the glass so that you don't burn your eyes out while you're blowing glass. So technically, if you bought a piece of hand-blown glass, you could... It may have a trace amount trace of lanthanum in it. Interesting. Yeah. All of the rare earth minerals are found very commonly in a lot of our modern household items, but they're found in very small quantities. Gotcha. Lanthanum is semi-toxic. So, so you don't want to go looking for no, it. No, you don't want to go find a piece and ingest it. Um, that would be bad for you. Private says, Ode keeps hyping up cool rocks I can't buy, and I think that's unfair. <laughs> 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 yeah, so lanthanum... You could, like I said, it's it's probably in something you probably around you. It's probably some. nearby to you. Just the question is, in what product? <laughs> and in, in what quantity? Take out your pendulum. Uh -huh. There's the lanthanum. Which it? of you contains the lanthanum? <laughs> Finn says, as a welder, it, it is, is in, in the tungsten electrodes. Yep. It was for a while being used in carbon ray lamps. There was a period of time where the, the film industry was using carbon ray lamps almost exclusively, and they were using like 25% of the entire world supply of lanthanum to make those lamps until they wow. eventually uh, phased them out and replaced them with other forms of lighting. So if you could find an antique lamp. Uh, an antique carbon ray lamp that would have lanthanum in it. I think you have stores. a carbon ray bulb that I gave you. Yeah, somewhere. One of the, the earliest uses was uh, an attempt to make a uh, a lantern by using a small amount of lanthanum and uh, making an alloy with another mineral into a glass and, and lighting the glass. Um, but it produced this really strange green light that people didn't like, so it didn't get off spooky the ground. Light, spooky uh -huh. light. Yeah, it made a spooky light that people didn't <laughs> like. Um, but that was one of the first attempted uses of it. <laughs> Finn says, I like spooky lights. I think it's most widespread use now, especially now that fiber optic communications are sort of taking off, is that it's used uh, with a couple of other materials to make a, a fluid that can be spun into fiber optic cables, which has a higher transmission rate in infrared spectrums. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is a much more effective fiber optic cable for transmitting higher amounts of information, more data. As fiber optic communication systems become more widespread and, and as fiber goes to more places, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be using more and more lanthanum. Gotcha. So how would you use this as a techno-pagan? Yeah, so the challenge obviously is figuring out what in your life has lanthanum, but its qualities, and obviously no one has written about these, so these are just following my vibes on what the magical qualities of lanthanum are, but I would say it is, to pull on more tech roots, um, it's incognito mode. <laughs> so lanthanum is finding information or opening a line of communication without attracting attention to yourself while going under the radar. So sneaky shit. Sneaky shit. 
that um, gets shit done. It's cutting through the bullshit without going loud. Um, I think it could also be used for passing. So for the trans people out there who want to pass as uh, their particular gender, maybe reach out to the Spirit of Lanthamon because it's got some experience with that. But but yeah, for, for anything where you need to get some information or pass along some information to someone in particular uh, without attracting attention along the way, Lanthamon is the way to go. If you can't, like I said, you're not going to have a specimen of Lanthamon, so mm -hmm. what you're going to have to work with is the spirit of Lanthamon. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be some more abstract work. You're going to have to do more in astral space, but you may be able to like get a stronger connection if you can find something in your life that's made with Lanthamon. I'm not even kidding when I say pull off pendulum mm -hmm. So For the dowsing rods. Swan said, I thought incognito mode was just for porn. No, incognito mode is for anything you don't want. <laughs> that's right. Logged. <laughs> And then Finn said it's 57th on the periodic table. So hey. maybe some numerologists could do something with that. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, a, go. that's a good thought. Yeah. Interestingly, so. Lanthimum is in neodymium. If you have a newer speaker, it probably has a neodymium magnet in it. Mm -hmm. um, we will be doing neodymium magnets for our Thor's hammer. Our Thor's hammer at Valhalla. Neodymium makes the strongest <laughs> magnets on Earth. Yep. So you guys are putting it in your Thor's hammer. Does that yes. mean it's legit going to be hard for people to yes. like, <laughs> I love it. It's going to be super hard for people to pick up. Oh, that's great. Um, except that. He's going to have an RFID, an RFD bracelet, ID bracelet that, that releases it so that I can walk up and pick it up and I'll be the one who's worthy. Yes. But that six terrible. inch by two inch magnet has a draw weight. So how much it will pull mm -hmm. of 1700 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Um, scientists. <laughs> There was a scientist quoted in an article once saying, rare earth minerals are magic. <laughs> and he specifically said, like, I hate saying that because I'm a scientist, but they're magic. We don't yeah. know why they have these particular features. Hello, we don't know. Science, yeah. got its, you know, its, its roots are magic. So, yeah. So, you know. so lots, right. lots of... Uh, Embrace the magic, scientists. Yeah. So scientists don't understand why they do these things, just that they definitely do. And we can't replicate them without using the rare earth minerals. So, so that's it for mm -hmm. Oats Stone Corner! <laughs> Was that better, Finn? <laughs> we got a thumbs up. Two thumbs up from Finn. And Gemma. And Gemma. So we're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's and that's, spirit. that's sort of the next thing I wanted to talk about is sort of techno-animism, mm -hmm. which we've talked about before. Sort yeah, of. briefly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've covered briefly, but techno-animism is essentially just the belief that modern things, technological things, things that humans have developed and created can have spirits just the same way that natural things can. Mm -hmm. So, like, I believe my phone and the laptop and the, my desktop and... And our microphone, our, Toby. Our microphone, yeah. I, I believe all these things can have spirits of their own. And then, yeah, I did name my computers all the way, like, for years and years and years. I gave them all human names. Yep. And... Well, I had Hal for a computer at work one time, uh -huh. so. Well, I remember, and Vigo. And Vigo. 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 Well, like, you remember my laptop, Charlotte? Yes, oh, Charlotte. Charlotte, who had the vapors. vapors yep. <laughs> yes, she did. Because Charlotte would just get overheated. It was simply the nature of Charlotte. Yep. She would get very excited if you tried to do two things at once, and <laughs> her fan couldn't keep up, and she would faint. This By which I mean she would shut down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got a special little 
laptop fan for Charlotte, and that helped a little bit, but not completely. No. She was just of a delicate temperament. She wasn't, and I, the reason I named my work computer Hal was because the motherboard was going out, I guess, mm -hmm. and it kept restarting itself. <laughs> and it was, so I got this, to this point where it was like, it was saying to me, I can't do that for you, Gwen. Mm -hmm. You know, and then it was replaced by Vigo. The powerful, the powerful one, the the nice, beautiful, powerful black tower computer. Uh -huh. You know, so I, I put a sticker on there that said, "My name is Vigo, and you are not like the buzzing of flies to, to me." me. So. <laughs> Swan says vehicles too. Yep. Yeah, a lot of people name their cars, bikes. Mm -hmm. I can't speak to that personally, having never owned a car. Well, I haven't named my any of my cars, but I've always treated them as if they have a spirit and mm -hmm. talk to them and sometimes curse at them. And, but usually... And sometimes just beg and extol them to yes. survive another six months or usually, whatever. Usually it's sweet talking them. So. Yeah, to get them to keep running. Or like... Um, Please just make it to the next gas station. Just make, just Please, Please make it to just the next gas station. Just one more mile. Just, and just, I promise I'll never let you run this empty ever again. Five hundred feet, please run on the fumes. <laughs> um, or like, remember that VCR player we had back in the day that would never work for Gwyn or I, yes. but if we threatened it with car coming home and then looking it at work. it, then it would work. It's true. It is absolutely changing true. nothing else about our approach. Just saying, if you don't, if you don't work, Dad is gonna come home. And take and, a screwdriver and to take you. you apart, and then it would start working. <laughs> that is very true. That stuff still is scared of me. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. But electronics seems to get scared of me. Maybe it's because I used to take everything apart. That's true. That's Swan true. says, I've used my own energy field to fuel the empty tank just a little further to the gas station. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I imagine would be exhausting with the amount of energy a car takes to run. Yes. Well, and um, I believe it's... Um, Diana Rochelle has a book called City Witch, mm -hmm. and um, this would be part of that idea yeah. mm -hmm. that everything, you know, that is human-made, human human-made, yeah. where you're at, has a spirit, and you can interact with that spirit mm -hmm. to assist in your magic, or... Yeah, urban witches tend to yeah. be tech witches. Oh, it's called urban witch. Yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. That's that not the right. It didn't feel <laughs> right either. But no, Urban Witch. I highly recommend that book. By the way, I took her class. It was very interesting. She goes right down into like carbon fibers and <laughs> all kinds of cool things, you know. So yeah, and even things like power grids, power sources like wind turbines mm -hmm. and solar Anything panels. Really? And yeah, all that stuff has. Its own energy, mm -hmm. and therefore, as far as I'm concerned, it has its own spirit. Anything that has energy mm -hmm. has a spirit. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our technological stuff has literal electronic energy in it. So I do not, I do not grok people who don't, who can't see that it might also have a spirit. Mm -hmm. Do they still put crystals? In, yes, in there's things? crystals in a lot of, uh, yeah. in, a, in a lot of our chips and yeah. Yeah, so you got you actually are working with multiple spirits mm -hmm. that have coalesced sometimes sometimes um, to create a, a new yeah sometimes literally quartz crystals reconstituted quartz, yeah. quartz crystals and things like that yeah so yeah I think all these things can have spirits I think it's almost I don't want to be rude but I feel like it's almost naive to believe that these things can't or don't have spirits mm -hmm. just because we made the physical object. Mm -hmm. How is that any different than, like, when we mined the stone out of the earth and split it up into multiple pieces? Mm -hmm. I agree. Right, yeah. And, well, and, you know, you often have 
people talking about haunted objects, uh-huh. uh, things like that. But are they haunted? Or is that just or the is spirit just of the object? The spirit of the object. Yeah. The, is the doll haunted by a ghost? Or is the doll just doll spirit? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not in a good mood. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's not being treated well. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, or, or it just doesn't like people. That happens, too. You get mm-hmm. that with bland spirits and house spirits all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I think sometimes... I think these, a lot of poltergeist activity is actually house spirits. I've talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah, dolls are fucking creepy, says Finn. <laughs> um, I think you're fucking creepy, too, Finn. The other thing, though, <laughs> is that we put some of, you know, as we put our energy and thought and sure. beliefs and expectations into these things... The same way that, they like, they, exactly, they start to change and evolve. The same way that, like, so children change and evolve and are built by, mm-hmm. in some ways, the the beliefs and expectations of their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's part that's of it. part of bec- of becoming a person mm-hmm. is everything your parents bring to your upbringing. And so, with new spirits are coming from new human created objects mm-hmm. there those spirits are being influenced by our beliefs and priorities and expectations about them mm-hmm. yeah yeah i believe that so like if if a doll is created and then it's constantly around people who think it's creepy and and spooky mm-hmm. then its spirit is naturally unsurprisingly going to develop a creepier spookier aspect well that's not to say that an object or something could not be influenced or or possessed quote unquote right. or something by a, another spirit um like sure those kinds of spiritual those, interactions those happen kind all of the spiritual, time especially if you're talking about jewelry or objects or things that, that were, were owned, owned by, by yeah. someone that that person's spirit for what or could energy, be attached to it could be attached to it or just the the there's place memory there's mm-hmm. the energy of a place or a thing could be attached mm-hmm. to this as well rochelle asks an interesting question which is what does that say about the temperament of the ghost mm-hmm. in the machine in the context of the modern internet mm-hmm. and that's a really good question and this comes back sort of again to i think the the difference in perspectives between 90s techno-paganism and and the perception of what cyberspace was going to become and the modern internet and modern techno-paganism. I think in the 90s, the vision was very utopian, right? It was like there was a lot of hope. There was a lot of optimism about what we could use this technology for, where it could go, how fast it could go there, what we would be able to accomplish. Which is funny because a lot of it's based on William Gibson's books. Right, which was... Which is not very positive and... Yeah, Gibson didn't have a very optimistic view of that. It's a dystopian for a reason. Yes, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But the view of the real-life people working on the technology was very positive, was very sort of, we can use this as a force for good and for change. Right. And I think the modern internet, the perspective of the modern internet user and the modern internet developer is much more cynical. We've turned attention into a commodity, into like a tangible money-making thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We have taken this technology that we use to connect us and bent it towards capitalist aims, mm-hmm. sort of without any regard for the consequences to the community, right? Much less yeah. to the individual. There's a fascinating documentary, I may have talked about it before, on social media consumption and what it does to the human brain. Mm-hmm. And not just social media. Yeah. Not even, not even just social media, but just like the way we do targeted advertising mm-hmm. and data collection and mm-hmm. like all the ways 
people who worry about like the vaccines putting a chip in you to track your emotion, right? It don't need it. Your phone is doing that all the time. Already, yeah. You're already being tracked. You are already, already. being tracked. And the where you go, what you do while there, you're there. There are the, cameras everywhere. The words you say. Half the time, your mic is on, and like because you've given it permissions, you don't remember. And it's it's logging everything you say, and it's gonna put the keywords into a database somewhere and feed that to an algorithm that's gonna give you advertisements targeted to the conversations you're having. That's just the world we live in now. Big Brother is already watching. Big my Brother friends. is already watching you. Big Brother is privatized and watching you. Yep. I, I think we live in a more cynical internet than the 90s predicted we would have by now. Right. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't think that's irreparable, right? Um, I think it would be difficult at this stage to walk some of this back because it's so integrated into how the internet functions. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that has to change the way we approach the potential of the internet as a magical space. Or at, like, like it doesn't have to mean we don't use the internet as a magical space. It means we have to be more conscious of breaking those technological chains, as it were. Mm -hmm. I think we need to re-examine how people, where people thought we would be in the 90s now. Yeah. And try to sort of pick up some of that <laughs> optimism about the, the potential for this technology and where it could take us. And sort of reinvent that based on what we have now and, and the opportunities that we have now. Because, like... The virtual reality that Mark Pesci was looking into wasn't possible in the late 90s. No. But it is possible now. We have that technology now to do those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. The stumbling block, right, is the cost of these things. Yeah. Is how much it costs to do them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Second Life is still out there. It's Second still Life going. is, yeah, still kicking. <clears throat> and so that is something that, you know, people could create a virtual space mm -hmm. in that. Now, again, it's free to start but if you want to do anything extra right it's going to cost it's you money it's going to cost you money yep it's time for Gwen's garden gems what i'm talking about today is ladies mantle um it's called alcamilla vulgaris common then that's common ladies mantle what are you two giggling about nothing just keep going I don't even want to know. <laughs> <laughs> other names for it are Dewcup and Lion's Foot. There is also another version called Soft Ladies Mantle. Um, and there's actually 300 different species, but the most common would be regular, the common Ladies Mantle and the Soft Ladies Mantle. Um, the leaves are slightly cupped and round, allowing them to collect rainwater and dew. Hence the dew blossom. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, they grow in mounds up to about a, a foot. Okay, so they're yeah. they're a shrubby. Clumpy yeah, they're kind of a shrubby, of. clumpy kind of. Uh, they make beautiful. Would you use them as a, like a ground cover? You can use them as ground cover, yes. Part of its name should give you uh, an idea of who used to use it a lot, Alcamilla vulgaris. It was very popular for alchemists to use dew collected from, uh, or water, you know, rainwater right. collected from ladies' mantle leaves. Uh, and and uh, blossoms because they believed it was connected to the philosopher's stone, you, mm. you know, and so they thought it would enhance their powers. Interesting. And that dew collected or water collected from ladies' mantle was the purest water. 
And so it was, it was a very powerful alchemical uh, element used in their, in their magic and in their science. Women used to use ladies' mantle for, they, it, it is used for women's types of things like, mm-hmm. you know, controlling um, menstrual cycle, for controlling cramping, strengthening the uterus, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But women in the Middle Ages that were, excuse me, the 16th century used to use it to restore their virginity after they, you know, before marriage, <laughs> in case there was a downfall. Alrighty then. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I don't think that's that <laughs> so they uh, they believed it would help them. Yeah, I get it. That, I that, just right? think they're wrong. <laughs> well, it was the 16th century. <laughs> Give them a break. They would also use the water from that as a beauty treatment. Mm. And uh, you can actually use the the leaves, you know, crushed as a poultice to deal with cuts and abrasions and things. A lot of gardeners uh, will, you know, not only use ladies' mantle for ground cover, but also if they if they cut their hands while they're while they're working with their plants and stuff, they can use it as a poultice. Can also the blossoms can be used in a tea, and it's anti-inflammatory. It's astringent, so it's good for um, coughs and things of that nature. Um, and as far as magic goes, it was used for love, protection, purity, fertility, beauty, youth, improving romance and libido. So, and there's actually quite a bit of information about um, ladies' mantle. Um, for instance, you can tell there's the two different kinds. One has yellowish to, to greenish flowers. They're little tiny flower clusters when they, they bloom from June to August while the other one is more green blossoms. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's the common ladies' mantle that has the green blossoms, and it's the uh, soft ladies' mantle that has kind of the yellowish gotcha. green flowers. But green flowers seem to me like they would be very easy to confuse with the leaves. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> very cool. Uh, are there any cautions we need to know about for... Not that I could find. Okay. Because it is, it is. Uh, so you can handle it. Yeah, you can handle it. It can be used in herbalism, you know, as a tea. It can be used as a tincture. Rabbit says these grow everywhere near me, and I never knew what they were. Yeah, that's that's ladies' mantle. So I would uh, do some research there, Rabbit, and, and uh, mm-hmm. see what you can do with it. So that's it for Queen's Garden Gems. Lovely. Thanks. <laughs> Ghost hunters who use technology for connecting with spirits. Yep, that's a thing for sure. They, because they, you know, there's they have those this, talking boxes. Yeah, they have talking boxes. There's the the idea that you can use white noise to record ghostly voices mm-hmm. and things of that nature. EVPs. EVPs. You know, originally it was uh, a a white noise from a recorder mm-hmm. or a, some kind of a radio station that was not actually broadcasting. Um, now they do actually have the ghost boxes that uh, you they have like thousands of words, of just random, just random words, words yeah. that can be that can be used. I guess how it works is when the box receives a specific kind of signal, it says a specific word. Yeah. And so the like thought that. is that the spirit selects the signal it wants to send mm-hmm. and that becomes a word right and then of course there's also the idea of and this goes all the way back to you know early 20th century when they mm. started using technology uh to try to record yeah. or to photograph uh yeah the orbs the orbs you know to photograph a spirit any kind of spiritual activity and of course now you've got the digital mm-hmm. age which has its own quirks and, and interesting 
things. But anyway, so I, I just thought that yeah. might be something. That's another thing that um, people who are necromancers mm-hmm. or mediums. mediums or anyone who works with... In that uh, field. Yeah, who works in the field with, with spirits who have crossed over with human spirits. Mm-hmm. Or with, like or, said, with, or with other spirits. I, I think, on, I do genuinely think a lot of poltergeists are actually just disgruntled house you. spirits. I, I think even when they manage to get communication from them, I think half mm-hmm. the time those are still the house spirits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think a lot of times, yeah, I yeah. do, I do. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, that's another way technology mm-hmm. has sort of intersects intersects with spiritual and magical areas, areas of expertise of expertise, yeah. yeah. And as we've talked about before, mm-hmm. you know, we've got apps for our phones that'll do a bunch of stuff. You've got that tarot app. I've got a tarot a app. One. I've got a rune app. Mm-hmm. I've got all kinds of apps that'll do stuff for my phone. They have a magic eight ball app now. There yeah. are <laughs> websites where you can type in your intention and it'll create a sigil for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Using Google mm-hmm. um, to, you know, do my book of shadows on. Yep. Yeah. You Google know, Drive. Google Drive. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of different, you know, things that can be used for that. As a matter of fact, I just sent Jackson my whole stone yeah thing for you know his new job for his work yep. yeah because he's working at a pagan store now yeah exactly so roshala did ask a question which was have you run across in your research any folks or groups who honor the ghost in the machine as part of their practice i frequently have to explain the concept to folks and i'd still never thought of it in that context why don't you go ahead and explain it now for people who are listening who may not know what it means Okay, so to answer the the initial question, I have not actually found any groups who specifically work with the ghost in the machine, but the ghost in the machine as a concept Mm -hmm. is like, I mean, in in tech terms, the ghost in the machine is like unintended behavior, unexplainable, unintended behavior in a system. In tech terms, that's usually thought to be caused by like remnant code or something that wasn't commented correctly so you don't really know what it does and it just like it doesn't seem to be breaking anything so you just kind of leave it there and hope it doesn't have a weird effect in the future uh and then if if it does that's a ghost in the machine right um i wonder if that's where they got the idea for tron the you know that idea (laughs) of of code living code society and stuff but in spiritual terms uh the ghost in the machine would be sort of And this is also how some people in the tech industry, especially in the earlier tech industry, thought of the ghost in the machine, thought of how machines would evolve in the future, and especially how artificial intelligence would develop and evolve in the future, uh, is that the ghost in the machine is the consciousness of the system. It's natural self-evolving properties, right? So like in the same way that evolution works on physical animals, by selection pressures over very long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And not all evolution is beneficial evolution. Uh, and oftentimes evolution is just for making something that works in its very specific environment. Right. The thought with the ghost in the machine as the evolving consciousness of the system is just that as different programmers work on the same system with independent aims or with different philosophies or just different production schedules, how much time they're willing to spend, how much their pre- their predecessor has commented the code, et cetera, et cetera. Those selection pressures refining the system will not catch everything. Right. And so there will be remnants left behind that as machines become more complex and sophisticated and as they start running their own routines instead of routines that we run for them, mm-hmm. which is very much a point we're at now, like, uh, like YouTube's algorithm, 
does, there's not a human, no. there's not like one single human at YouTube who knows how the algorithm works. Mm -mm. There are a bunch of programmers who've put individual efforts into the algorithm, refining and qualifying and adjusting values in the algorithm. But the algorithm runs on its own yeah. and makes decisions based on the parameters that the programmers have put in place. So there's a sense in which all of the algorithmic behavior of YouTube's algorithm for deciding what gets monetized, deciding what ads go on which videos, deciding whether copyright strikes go out, deciding what videos you get shown on your homepage, deciding what videos get played next when you allow autoplay, all of those decisions are being made independently by the machine. Which is where some of the fears of Skynet and some of these right. tech, these stories about sentience in a, I guess, in a computer system mm -hmm. coming, you know, the ghost in the machine actually becoming a becoming consciousness a that we could recognize. Exactly. But there's an argument to be made that how different is our consciousness mm -hmm. and uh, the evolutionary pressures that selected our mm -hmm. physical animal being, mm -hmm. how different are those pressures and that processing from the pressures and processing that the algorithms are doing? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's obviously from the human perspective, there's an impulse to say, well, no, obviously we're different. We're special. We're, you know, we have emotions and we do, you know, blah, 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 blah. And to sort of try to categorize, but the, the fact of the matter is we still don't know where consciousness comes from. Nope. We don't know what makes us conscious. We can't define consciousness in a comprehensive way. We can't even agree about whether or which other animals are conscious mm -hmm. in, in a way that humans recognize as consciousness, right? much less whether our machines are conscious. And there's a, there is a fear, a fear in humans about recognizing the potential consciousness of things we've created. That's why you because exactly. all these stories, these movies, these books, these comics of a consciousness becoming aware of itself or a, mm -hmm. you know, a, a machine becoming aware of itself and then and, turning and, against its creators. And I think more importantly, becoming aware of itself and becoming and us becoming aware of its awareness exactly, exactly. the fear isn't so much that the machine will become conscious right the fear is that the machine's consciousness will challenge us in yeah. some way and that usually is represented in a fictional way as like right. a, a danger challenge a physical yeah. danger challenge yeah. but i think what that ultimately comes down to what the root of that fear is mm -hmm. is that it will challenge our perception of ourselves exactly are if we, the machine can be conscious are we special yeah exactly and people don't like you know human beings don't like the concept no. that that we might not be special human beings don't even like to acknowledge that humans are animals right so imagine if, you know, you do yeah. ever get an actual ghost in the machine, mm -hmm. an actual consciousness from a computer. That, something that we can recognize as a consciousness. Something that we can recognize as a consciousness. That, that would challenge a lot. Well, and it would challenge people's spiritual beliefs, mm -hmm. their religious beliefs. Who are we? If, if we can create a consciousness, right. you know, then who created us? Exactly. You know, are, it doesn't we, matter. are we just a, are we just and a complicated you machine? Know, machine? Yeah. And, and if that's... And, and it doesn't matter. And, and if that's the case, right, if we're creating consciousnesses when we work on these algorithms, when we build these machines, when we create these systems, what responsibility do we have mm -hmm. to those machines and systems and algorithms? Mm -hmm. Right.
mm-hmm. to raise them correctly. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. if we're creating them, they are effectively our children as a species. And who's creating them? Who's responsible for them? Because they have hundreds of parents. And thousands, millions, or billions of co-parents question mark Mm -hmm. of human beings who interact with them and influence their development now and how do we take this back to we have just been saying we believe these individual laptops and Mm -hmm. microphones and and things that they have a spirit spirit of their own of themselves Mm -hmm. you know how do we how do we correlate that with consciousness i think a lot more things are conscious than we'd like to recognize Mm -hmm. maybe not conscious in the same way that we are. Like I said, I work with stones a lot and Mm -hmm. stones have a very different sense of identity Mm -hmm. than I do or than animals do or than plants Plants do or yeah. And different stones have different senses of identity from each other, but, but they have a particular, they have a feeling, they have a vibe, right? Right. Um, That's particular to stones and minerals. Mm -hmm. I would say that they're conscious but differently than I'm conscious. Right. They think differently than I do. And I've talked before about an experience I had years ago now of connecting to the spirit of, it was my computer actually, but connecting to the spirit of the computer. Right. And then connecting through that to the spirit of the power grid and connecting through that to the spirit of electricity Mm -hmm. and connecting through that to the spirit of plasma. And as I got further down that list, those spirits got bigger and less like me. Right. But they didn't get less conscious. Right. They just got less like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think part of our problem here is insisting on perceiving consciousness as being like us. As being like us, as thinking the way we think. Mm-hmm. And, and like that's gonna be impossible for something that doesn't even have the same sensory organs that we have, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now some computer systems can actually mimic some of our senses. Like if the computer is, is conscious and has a spirit, it has a webcam, it can see, mm-hmm. right? My computer that has a webcam can see. It has that range of information similar to what I have. Mm-hmm. But like a stone doesn't have eyes. It doesn't perceive the world that way. It has different senses that it uses that I can't even translate because I don't have anything equivalent. Right, right. And I think there's a, the ghost in the machine as a concept is its own spirit, separate from the spirit of like the internet right. and the spirit of my phone in particular mm-hmm. and the spirit of cell phones generally. And all these things kind of stack like matryoshka dolls, I think. Right, right. We've, I've, I think we've sort of reached the end of our, of our ability to discuss this topic. Yeah. But So I think it's very interesting, but I think ultimately we're not at a place where we can finish that conversation yet just because we haven't defined our terms well enough. But now it's time for... Mm-hmm. Cars, fees, table. Cars, fees, table. And no, I'm not doing robot food. <laughs> so I am doing veggie kebabs with cucumber sauce. Ooh. Okay. So this takes a while to make. So be prepared, Finn, <laughs> when you do this to uh, to for it to, to take block a little out bit of time. time. Yep. So you're going to spend about uh, 15 minutes cutting up vegetables. You're then going to spend. 10 to 15 minutes grilling them, but uh, you're also going to spend four hours marinating them. So here is the marinade that you're going to make. So you're going to get a quarter a cup of honey, a quarter a cup of spicy brown mustard, a quarter a cup of sesame oil, and a quarter a cup of peanut oil. 
I love peanut oil. You're also going to add one tablespoon of soy sauce, two garlic cloves minced, or two garlic bulbs oh, minced, my. depending on who you are, one teaspoon of ginger, or a significant amount more, depending on who you are, two shallots peeled and chopped, and half a cup of rice vinegar. And you're going to mix all of that together, and that's your marinade. Okay. So nice. you're going to pour that over your cut vegetables. The cucumber sauce that you're going to make okay. to then dip these kebabs in mm -hmm. is one medium cucumber, eight ounces of plain unflavored yogurt. Please do not buy vanilla yogurt for this. <laughs> Half a teaspoon of black pepper, a teaspoon of salt, although I would leave that out personally because I'm not a salt person. One teaspoon of white sugar, two tablespoons of dill, one tablespoon of dry onion, two garlic cloves or bulbs, and two tablespoons of lemon juice. Lemon juice? Lemon juice, yes, right. not lemon juice. <laughs> lemon juice is stuff you put into bread to make uh -huh, it rise yeah. or something. Um, and so you're going to mix all that up. It's going to be yummy when you dip your kebabs in it. Your kebabs are 12 ounces of cherry tomatoes whole, two to three baby zucchini that you're going to slice half inch thick, 10 ounces of baby red or pearl onions whole, 12 medium mushrooms, one yellow pepper, one green pepper, and 12 pineapple chunks. Ooh. The sauce, the cucumber sauce, is best prepared the day before. Okay. And then set it in your refrigerator to gain flavor. So like a chili. Exactly, yep. And then you're gonna heat it all on your grill on medium heat, you know, the stuff that has been, the kebabs uh -huh. that have been marinating, and uh, turning them every four or five minutes, four to five minutes until they are tender. And then you're gonna dip those puppies right into that cucumber sauce and enjoy. You're talking about on a grill. Can you do them in, in an oven? In your oven? I'm sure you could, yeah. You would just have to get, not necessarily a grill pan, but you could do it on a... Uh, One of those sheets? No. What do you put? A broiler. A broiler pan. Oh, wow. So you could do it on top of a broiler pan because some of those juices are going to yeah, drip off of right. that. Um, so you want to catch those instead of it landing on your you're, gas you're, or yeah. heat, electric heating you're, element. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, that would be the way to do it in your oven. You could also do it stovetop if you have the ability to put a griddle top oh, on top yeah. of your uh, stove. Finn says, no, you must use the grill. <laughs> Rabbit says, over a fire. Ooh, mm -hmm. that would be nice. I like this plan. <laughs> Swan says, peanut oil does not taste like peanuts when used. Five guys taught me that. <laughs> yep. That's, that's Burgers true. and fries. All right. Uh, that's it for that particular one. All right. Enjoy it. Finn, make it. Let me know what you think. <laughs> so that's it for that this whole episode, right? Yep, I, I think, think so. Is there so, anything else that we can add? Like, you're Mr. Electronics over there. Is there anything else to add about Technopagan? No, I think we covered it all. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's it for this episode. Thank you all for showing up. Because we're hanging out with us. The day before Memorial Day. Yes. Right, yes. So <laughs> Memorial Day weekend. So for those of you all who are hanging out with us, who actually are in a country that celebrates Memorial Day. Thank you for those of you all who live in a country that don't celebrate Memorial Day. Thank, thank you, you as well. <laughs> but you don't get brownie points. Right, but no brownie <laughs> points. You're brownie pointless. Not you're pointless, but you're brownie pointless. I don't know. I'm not going to try to explain it yeah, anymore. Just leave uh, if you want to find out more about Three Pagans and a Cat, which you probably don't. I mean, quite I honestly. listened to this episode. Right. I mean, if you listen to this episode and you haven't listened to any others, don't worry about it. Don't worry. Don't go back. It'll be fine. Oh, stop it. All of them are meh. I like what um, Swan says. Use your techno skills to Google the techno info on Freepack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you can just go to the, that thing called Google mm -hmm. and you type in the number three 
And then the letters P A A C. And you will summon us. Yes. <laughs> yes. We will be summoned to to speak yep. many many times. Many times. One hundred and forty five times. <laughs> many 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 hours. Or one hundred and forty four times because we got that lost episode. Lost, lost episode. Right. Yeah. You know what? More than that, actually, because we have some of those interviews in there that aren't numbered. Yep. So yeah, we got a lot. We got a lot. Yeah, of there's episodes. a lot on there. Lots of content. All right. So that's it for us. Goodbye, everybody. Yes, you can I find know. us, you know, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. On the thing. On the thing. And the place. Can Doing I hit stuff. stop? Doing stuff. Yes. Good grief, can I hit stop? No. <laughs> can I please hit stop? Yes. Oh, I thought you had. No. Well, just... You said no. Hit stop. Since when do you listen to me? Never. <laughs>